Thank you for listening to BLC's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message, brought to you by Les Mitchell. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. It's very good to be with you again this morning, and I praise God for His presence here today. It is so, so special to be here. This is an amazing family, and I am so privileged to know you, really. I want to read you uh, a scripture. It's fairly long, but uh, I think you'll get it. If you have a Bible, if you turn with me to 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and this is what he says. From verse 1, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Does that sound familiar? That so many strange things, John was talking about it on the internet that so many strange teachings are floating around and we really have to be discerning into what we read and what we, what we expose ourselves to. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for the day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man of lawlessness is the antichrist in this instance. The man doomed for destruction He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these, these things, and now you know who is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. So God is holding him back until he allows him to come forth. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds back, holds it back, will continue to do so until he has ta- is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness, uh, sorry, I'm going to repeat that again. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they still believe, they will believe the lie. And so also all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. It's a, sorry, it's a hard word, but it's the truth. It's from the word. There's a lot in there, and I'm not actually going to unpack that too much. But there's some points I'm going to highlight from there that I want to talk to you about. Paul is warning us that there are deceiving things going around, and there are, that's true, John has warned us as well. He's also saying that there are, there's a secret influence of lawlessness 
moving about in the church and in the land. You know, I've come to realize that where you get people who break the law quite happily as long as they're not being caught, that lawlessness is about. When people exceed the speed limit because no one's going to catch me, it's because lawlessness is about. When we do whatever mischief we choose, there is a spirit of lawlessness, a refusal to submit to God that is about in the land that causes people to feel free to want to do this. There's almost an urging to do this. And we begin to measure ourselves against other people. We say, well, they get away with it. They're doing that. They park wherever they like. They drive at whatever speed they want. They don't pay tax on everything. They withhold that. They drink more than they, they should. Alcohol, I mean. And we measure ourselves by other people who are being influenced by the spirit of lawlessness. But the only way you and I can succeed is by measuring ourselves against Jesus. Looking at the one who was not lawless, who came full of grace, full of mercy, and full of humility, and in obedience to his Father, in reverent submission, submitted to the death on the cross in order to save us. And I, I, I really believe that what we've had to come to understand is that I'm finding increasingly is many people say, well, I love Jesus, but I still do exactly what I like. And what I've come to understand is there's an absence of a fear of God. Now, that's an ugly word in the church today. You don't talk about fearing God because that's kind of a harsh word, but actually Jesus feared his father. And Jesus says to us, fear me, fear God. Fear the one who can destroy your soul as well. So what are we doing here? Let's have a look at this. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The writer says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You can't even get knowledge without fearing God. True knowledge. The knowledge of the eternal things of God are only discerned by people who are prepared to fear God. You can get wisdom, but only from God. I've come to see something very interesting. I can remember when I was a kid, my, my grandparents were Pentecostal people, and praise God for that. But there was a tremendous amount of legalism around in those days. And all the women had long hair. They didn't cut it. They had buns. They wore dresses down to their ankles and down to their wrists. They never wore a scrap of makeup in that whole sphere. I remember seeing Christian leaders as being harsh, frightening men that you want to have nothing to do with. And what I came to understand is that the road that we're journeying on has a ditch on either side of the road. And on the one side of the road is the ditch of legalism. But in the 60s and 70s, Oral Roberts came preaching and saying, God is good, he loves you, he wants to do good to you. All that is truth. We needed to get out of that ditch. We got back on the road, but sadly we've gone on to the other side of the road. And on the other side, we're learning, Papa loves you. He's like your nanny. He's like Santa Claus. You can make him to be whatever you want him to be. He just wants to bless, bless and bless. We also missed the point. Both ditches are not where we should be. We have to be on the road. 
if we're going to find the place that God wants us to go. You know, a very interesting thing. If you look back in, in Exodus, when God sent Moses to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go, it was not let them go so they can go and establish their own land in Canaan. It was let them go that they might worship me in the wilderness. That was what God wanted them to do. There was a purpose for this. We read in Exodus chapter 19 that they came eventually to Mount Sinai. And God put a limiter on the mountain and he said to Moses, tell the people not to touch this mountain. Anyone who comes near it has to be stoned or shot with an arrow. But on a given day, God says, I want to speak to my people. This was the purpose that God had for Israel. And on that given day, the people had to cleanse themselves and abstain from sexual relations. They had to truly set themselves apart to meet God. And when they met God, when they were due to come to the mountain, the mountain was trembling like with an earthquake. There was smoke coming off the mountain, lightning, thunder, loud peal, loud, loud trumpet blasts. The people were frightened. And you know what they said to Moses? You go. You go and listen to God. You come and tell us what God says. They missed the whole point. God wanted them to discover who he is because there is a security in living with a father who has great authority, great wisdom, but he is, remains father. There is our security. The people missed the opportunity to learn that and they spent 40 years in the wilderness until they got into Canaan, until an entire generation had passed away. I learned something very interesting as the years have passed. I can remember many years ago, Dot and I were part of the church that was being led by John's father. And we, um, the church was building a building and we all were asked to go home and pray about what we would like to give and the Lord showed us what we had to give. And we gave everything that we had. And then we moved into a house on the property where the farm, where the church was being built. And there was a guy on the property who had a really cool caravan and had always wanted to own a caravan. So I said to him, how much do you want for this caravan? He said, 10,000 rand. It was a lot of money in those days. So I got the idea. I've given everything we have to the building fund. They don't need it all right or now. Can I borrow back 10,000 from the building fund, buy myself a caravan? I did, they gave me the money and I bought the caravan. The first time we used it, we went to Port Elizabeth to see my mum. We parked, went to dinner with her, came back, the caravan was trashed. Every window was broken. Everything we owned was stolen. They, they even slashed the tent with knives. We eventually got that put together. More money was spent. Got back to East London. We got two punctures on the car. The brake pads went on the car. The aircon went on the car. And the only way I was managing it is on my credit card. Eventually, I was significantly in debt. It just seemed that wherever I turned, nothing worked. So I said to Dot, we better go and speak to Derek and Jean and tell them what's been going on. And we went, we sat down with them and we said, look, we have to tell you that things are just not going well with us. We're in debt. 
Dirk said, you know, I've got to ask your forgiveness. He said, when you asked to borrow that money, I knew it was wrong. But we felt, you've given everything, how can we refuse you? But we knew it was wrong to do it. And then Jean had a prophetic word, which still is with me. He said, the Lord says, sell the caravan and pay it back. And the Lord says, I will take you through a process and a period of uh, financial shortfall in your family. You will see my provision, but you will have very little for a season. And the Lord said, I want the scars of what has happened here to run deep in your life because I want you to learn something about me. We were shocked. We walked out, sold the caravan for less than I bought it and found the money to pay it all back. You, know, you could almost say, God, but that's not fair. We've given you everything. What was 10,000? God said, don't take back what you give me. You never touch it. It's no longer yours to touch. And we went through a season of extreme deprivation but we survived and we came out the other side. You see, what we learned, we got a chance to learn that we could fear our Father who has the power to do that in your life. You don't trifle with what you give Father. If you honor Father and you respect Him as Father, you give Him and you don't take back. You know, sometimes some of us are in difficult situations and we think the devil's winning. But sometimes you have to stop and say, Father, are you trying to get my attention? Do you want to show me something here? You know, guys, something we've got to remember. Matthew's gospel, the beginning, tells us in the dream that God spoke to Moses in, I mean to, to, to Joseph in. God said, Jesus will come to save my people from their sin. He didn't come to be our nanny. He didn't come to be our buddy. He didn't come to bless our lives beyond belief. There are times of blessing and we've known them. Believe me, we have. But what we've been left with is a deep honoring and a respect for God. He is God. Brothers and sisters, there are so many people that fall away from the kingdom. There are people who get saved. The, the current rate in the Western world is 80% of people who make a profession of faith in Jesus don't follow it up in a year's time, they're gone. What's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. They love taught to love Jesus, but we're not taught to fear God. We're taught that God is like Santa Claus. He's, he's your buddy. I'm not saying we need to be depressed about him. In fact, our biggest fear is that we'll be separate from him. Because there is nothing like the love that oozes out of the Father's presence when his children sit at his feet, when his children come to him and say, you are Father, and I love you with all my heart, and I feel your love. You know, if you've been a father yourself, you know that it's not right to give your children everything they ask. 
few of will have a diet of ice cream and chocolate. You know, that's not good for them. And there are times as a father, you've got to say, no, that's not what I could do, you, do for you. Because you love them, you do that. Not because you want to be nasty to them. My heavenly father is no different. He knows what's good for us. And the times that we will ask for something, we'll say, we, we need this. And he doesn't give it to us. And we say, well, where's God now? He didn't do what I asked. He's not there to be done, to do what we ask. He's there to be our father. He's there to be honored as father. You know, when we fall into issues of, of sin in our lives, we need to run to our Father, who's the one who could save us from our sin. We need to run and embrace Jesus so that he can cleanse us from our sin and restore us to our position of sonship. Our Father doesn't reject us, just like I didn't reject my children when they were naughty. You know, the very fact that in worshiping God, you experience his presence. He knows us. He knows us better than we will ever know ourselves. He knows the good and the bad, and yet he allows us to experience his presence. That's a wonderful picture of our Father. Our Father loves us so much that he doesn't do everything we ask. You know, we've come the whole gambit and we've been on it. Boy, have we been on it. You don't have faith, brother. You don't have faith, sister. Where's your faith? That's why you're not seeing the answers to your prayer. Now, faith is really important, but sometimes that's not the issue. Sometimes the issue is us, or sometimes Father is saying, I need to get your, I need to get your attention. I need to fix something in your life. I need to teach you something through this so that you will honor me and respect me, that you will not compromise this relationship you have with me. Did you see in that scripture I read you from 2 Thessalonians? That those who are deceived, God will allow them to become even more deceived in the end because that's their choice. You say, but he's a good God. Yes, he is. He saves anybody who comes to him. But Jesus didn't chase after the man, the rich, rich young man who came to him and said, I can't do what you ask. I can't give it all away. He never said, oh, it's okay, come along. We'll, we'll just put up with your money anyway. He doesn't do that. God is God, people. And if, if we want to be those who can truly understand how we are going to bring about a change in anything, we have to acknowledge him for who he is. People who've got something to hide are scared of God. They don't fear him. They're scared of him because they're scared of being punished for what they've done. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, what did they do? They hid away from him. They knew him every day. He came to visit them in the garden. The moment they sinned, they hid away from God. And this is the problem. When we're scared of God, we're scared of punishment. We hide from God. They covered their nakedness with fig leaves. It was the first act of religion in the world where man sought 
to do something to make himself more pleasing to God. Cover my nakedness, then God will be pleased with me. But if you think about it, God was never bothered by their nakedness. It's the start of religious legalism. Religion is just when we feel we need to do something to make ourselves more acceptable to God, but we can't. Our desperate need is for the blood of Jesus. Our desperate need is for his cleansing, his restoring. He came to save us from our sin. He didn't come to bless us. There's a blessing in being saved. There's a blessing of being a child of God and having the benefit of all that God will promise and give you. And in the end, he will take you to live with him forever. But he doesn't compromise who he is unless we've created an image of what we want God to be. The psalmist says, God, God says, you thought I was altogether like you. God is not like us. He doesn't have our emotions. God is God. And you know, this is not a heavy word because seriously, when we acknowledge him as God, we begin to find the peace that you cannot believe is possible. There's another aspect to ungodly fear. It's the fear of man. It's the opposite of the fear of God. When we begin to fear man, we begin to adjust our lives to keep ourselves acceptable to people. Many of us have many masks we wear. We have a mask we wear in our marriage at home. We have a mask we wear at work. We have a mask we put on when we come to church. We have a mask which helps us to convey to people what we want you to think about us. And the only reason, brothers and sisters, why we do this is because we desperately don't need to feel accepted by our Father. But we don't come to the Father. So we, we you know, I told you guys when I was last year that I joined the Thirsty Club in Montague. And I honestly couldn't stay there because they say the most horrendous things about their wives on public media. They call them the most horrendous names misogynist people, racist people, men who carry on about having a beer like a bunch of blinky teenagers, and these are men my age. I thought, ah, I, I don't really want to be part of this. I respect my wife. I love her for who she is. I don't believe that I'm here to make jokes about her and treat her in, 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 in an disrespectful way. But when we fear man... We do whatever we feel we need to do to make ourselves acceptable to them. And so many people in the world, I mean, some of our prime comedians, stand-up comedians, make jokes about everything, make jokes about God as well, make jokes about anything. It's just an, a reaction to try to protect themselves from the reality of who Father is. And if you dare to mention to them who your Father is, who God truly is. It's like a screen comes down. Don't go there. But guys, without somebody speaking to them, they're going to go to hell. Without the saving grace of Jesus, they're going to go to hell. Can you see that we stand? One hand holding on to God, another one reaching out to pull them into him, 
to attach them to the kingdom, that their lives will be, not be lost, they will be saved for eternity. But I want to say something to you. I believe that in this land we live with a spirit of lawlessness about. You just need to go into the traffic to discover that. Why? Because it's a, there is a spirit of lawlessness about, but the, the, the problem is, if we're to help withstand that spirit of lawlessness in the land, we can't be lawlessness ourselves because the devil is a rebel and he doesn't have to listen to another rebel. He only does what Jesus says. And we know that by the coming of Jesus and by his very breath, he will destroy the Antichrist. That's not a problem. But be wise and know these things are about. I know it's kind of a dodgy thing to speak of eschatology in the church today. But it just happens to be part of the word of God and the conclusion of the story. I don't want to be part of a story that doesn't end in victory. But I want to take everybody with me to that place. And I want to take you guys there. I want to go there and I want to know the presence of God. I want to know the, the, the Father looking and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter your rest. Because guys, there is a reward. You know, it's not okay for Christians to drink excessively. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's, it's definitely not okay. It's not okay for us to sleep around. It's not okay to look at other women with lust in our eyes or other men with lust in your eyes. It's sin. And it separates us from God. It's not okay to cheat on your income tax form. It's not okay to cheat anybody out of money. It's not okay to exceed the speed limit. Oh, but, you know, I was late. That is not the problem. Leave her time. But sadly, because we've created God in our own image, just like the Israelites came to Aaron and said, Moses is up the mountain, we don't know what's happening to him, make for us another God. And Moses took, I mean, Aaron took all their gold and fashioned for them a golden calf. And he said, this is now your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Can you believe it? But you see, when we want God to be what we want him to be, we will decide who he is and what he is. But when we expose ourselves to the word, we've got to remember one thing. When we read the word, the word reads us. And the word exposes our lives. And the word shows us who we are and what our life's about. How do we live? We've got to, this is our blueprint and we don't even bring it to church anymore. We don't even look at it. Because it doesn't matter. Are we reading it? Because it's the life. It's the Father's letter to us. It's the Father saying, I want you to change your life and walk in this way. It's not okay, men, to treat your wife as some sort of accessory who's there when you need her, but disregard her when you don't. It's not okay to speak to us, to our, our children and our wives in, a, in an aggressive, derogatory way and pull rank as fathers because your heavenly father doesn't do that. 
Guys, we've got to get back to the fear of the Lord. We've got to get out of that ditch. Because that ditch is labeled lawlessness. Because when there's logesse, we can't cope with that. And we end up breaking the law and living the lawless life. We have to come out of that ditch. We have to get back on the road. We have to walk that solid road. I heard an interview once. Um, there was an American televangelist who committed adultery and he was famous and he embezzled money from his ministry big time. And eventually he was found out and he went to jail. And in jail he was visited by somebody once. And this man said, he went up to him and he said, when did you stop loving Jesus? And he said, I never stopped loving Jesus. I stopped fearing God. And that's why I thought I could do what I did. And he said, how do you feel about being here? He said, I am so grateful. Because if I had not been caught and put in jail, I would go to hell. It's better that I pay for this now. You know, guys, God's not playing games. God is serious about this whole thing. And God wants to change a nation. And God wants to see the church as being the strong pinnacle of light that blazes forth the glorious truth of Jesus. You know, Jesus, we read in, in, in Hebrews 5, it says, he learned submission through what he suffered. That's it, with tears and cries. He cried out to the one who could save him. And he was hurt through his reverent submission. The King James translates it, he was hurt because of his reverent fear for the Father. Even Jesus had to learn this. It's a journey, but it's a brilliant journey of change. It's changing us all the time. He doesn't leave us the way we are. He doesn't just walk away and say, oh, great, you're saved. Good, sit on your chair. Everybody loves you. He knows us so well. He knows the number of hairs on our heads this morning. And he says, I know what you are, and I've got a vision for what I want you to be. It's not usually rich. It's not usually famous. It's not usually loved by everybody. It's learning to love like I love, says the Father. It's learning to know that I love you, and I will never walk away from you. But I need you to learn this. I want to, I love you too much to live, leave you the way you are. Just as I loved my children too much to leave them where they are. And sometimes I had to do the hard thing. I wanted to be the loved dad. I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be fun. But there were times you couldn't be that. The times you had to speak the hard word and take the harsh action. Now the law prohibits it. We only did that because we desperately want to save them from messing up and make their lives different. I used to say to my kids, you know, I want people to love having you around. I don't want people to think, oh, here comes Les with these draggy kids. I want people to say, oh, I love the Mitchells. It's great. Let them come. Bring the kids with you. I used to say to them, if we were standing on opposite sides of a busy road and I was coming to fetch you, 
And I said, stay there. I want you to stay there because it's going to save your life. I don't want you to think, yeah, but he's my dad and run over this road and heaven knows what might happen. You see, we do that for the benefit of our children to teach them they can trust us. They can know our love motivates us to keep them on this path that they got to go. And there's a security. Anybody who's ever chastised a child will probably know this if it was done correctly. They are so loving. They're all over you like a rash afterwards because they know they feel secure. Somebody cared enough about me to do this. And if you didn't have it, don't lose the chance now. I want to say to you guys, if things are not going like you would want them to go, if you're not experiencing what you believe God wants you to experience, if you're having problems in your relationship with your wife or your husband, and you say, what is going on here? Where is the blessing of God? And God says, I've given you everything you need to build a good marriage. But what I need you to do is obey me. What I need you to do is submit to one another. What I need you to do is love one another. What I need you to do is stop being selfish and demand it all your way. What I need you to do is care more for the other person than you care for yourself and you want to lift them up. You know, coming here is the, one of the big privileges of our lives. It's coming into the place where people revere God, where people worship Jesus, where people want to see the best, where people love you and reach out to you when you come in the door and make you feel welcome and make you realize how much they love you. This is not a punishment to come here. You know, people say, well, I'm bunking this weekend. Why? Why would you want to do that? It's not that it's legalistic, but why would you want to not be here? Is it that awful? Seriously? You see, God wants us to come to the place that just like we want our children to, where they say, Dad, Mom, I trust you with my life. Whatever you say, we're going to do. Because I know that what you're doing in my life is for my good. When we come to our Heavenly Father, we don't say, where is my share? Where is what I want? Instead, we say, Father, you know everything about me, and yet you don't reject me. Father, what do you want this life to be? Father, what do you want me to do? Father, how do you want me to live? And when things don't go right, Father, it doesn't matter. I've got you. I don't need anything else but you. This is the truth, guys. You know, so many of us, if we've got money in the bank, we're suddenly, woohoo, God's so great. Oh, blessed me beyond belief. Can we still say that when we've got nothing in the bank? Can we say that when things aren't going the way we want them? Because what he's looking for is that level of trust so deep that nothing will shake our conviction. You are good to me. And sometimes you know you've got to hold the chocolate back because it's better for me. I've got to live like you're watching me all the time. You know my coming and my going, my in and out. My crossword to somebody else. 
my wrong look at somebody else's wife. You know, I can't hide it from you. But all you ask me to do when I do this is come running to you. I can't be separated from you. And I say, Father, forgive me. I have sinned. I've been stupid. Let's not be like the people who desperately want to be thought well of and they put on this pious face. Jesus said, beware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. It's like yeast goes to the whole batch. What is the hypocrisy they want to be thought well of? It was more important to them that people would think well of them than that the Father would think well of them. So all they cared about is when they fasted, they disfigured their faces. When they prayed, they went and prayed aloud in the public places. Woo, look at him, he's praying. When they brought gifts to the altar, they got a band to accompany them. So they will say, woo, look how much he gave or she gave. It's one of those little masks. I want you to like me. I want you to think well of me. But you see, when, your father, when we truly know our Father, and we know His heart towards us, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It matters what He thinks. I live in that secure place. Every day my life is ordered by God. Every day God decides. Every day I wake up secure because God is God. He's on the throne. He's going to bring this whole thing to completion one day. He will come again in victory. He will change. He will destroy his enemies. That is our privilege. Jesus saved me from my sin. Whether he did anything more beyond that doesn't matter. He saved me from my sin and he's saving me from my sin. Every day, Jesus has to save me from my sin. I need it. I need to be cleansed. I need his restoring of my life. I can't live without it. You know, like me, you're not perfect. Like me, you lose your temper, you get angry. You get selfish, you say, hey, what about me? You know, who's going to take care of my needs? But it changes. Life is a process of change. Father is changing us all the time. There will come a time we will be like him. We will look like Jesus, we'll sound like Jesus. That's the purpose of this journey. And along the way, grab and bring them in. But don't grab and put them stand there. Put the hand in his hand. Grab another one. Put the hand in his hand. Teach them what it means to follow Jesus. Teach them what it means to, to, to know their father. Don't paint him as some Santa Claus old Papa who loves to just look at his children and say, nah, nah, nah. oh, naughty boys, but I love them to bits. He doesn't look at it that way. He's holy. Fear God. Fear God. Fear the one who can save you. Fear the one who has drawn you and me out of darkness into his glorious kingdom of light. 
Fear him and see his life come forth in you. Fear him and fulfill your purpose for living in this life. Fulfill it. Your purpose is not to get rich. That's for some he gives us that. Brilliant. But it's usually so you can help somebody else anyway. But fear the one who you respect and honor. I never became my children's buddy. I never could be. I couldn't be dad and buddy at the same time. I was dad who loved extravagantly. But I had to be dad who brought correction as well. I had to do that. Guys, our father is no different. He's just a whole lot better. But he is looking at each one of us. You may be sitting there now saying, I've been asking for this for 20 years and I've still not seen it. Perhaps it's a good idea to stop and say, Father, is there a reason why you don't give me this? Is there something you want to do in me? Maybe you don't even want me to have this. Maybe I think it'll be good for me, but maybe you think it won't. Father, what do you want to do? Father, how should I live when I follow you? Guys, we've got to get out of that ditch, but don't get out and run back into the legalistic one. Get on the road. Walk with a balance of the Father loving you, but being the Father and forever taking you forward into his best purposes. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you. Father, it seems so little to say thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us from darkness. Thank you for saving us from ourselves, from our life of sin, from our self-centeredness. Thank you, Father, for accepting me because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for each one in this room who has come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Savior from their life of sin. Now, Father, we ask, take this word, whatever is of value, whatever is good. Father, but all I ask with all my heart, Father, let us truly understand what it means to fear you. It doesn't mean to be scared of you. It means to honor and respect you and love you. Father, teach us that journey. Lord, you are the one who changes our hearts. You say in Isaiah, I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Well, then let's go up to you, Father, and say, take out my heart of stone. Make me a man with a heart of flesh, a heart after your heart, Father, that I won't do the stupid things that damage me and damage others. Come and change us in Jesus' name.